God is good. His presence is the highest value in this house. <laughs> Amen. 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 All right. The story. The story. We're going to have one more installment before we hit January. So this will have to tide us over. Um, so if you're visiting with us, we are wanting to walk all the way from Genesis to Revelation together. Um, but we're not going to do it all together. So maybe once a month we'll hit it. So it'll be years. <laughs> we'll be years. We've had like four installments and we're still like in the first three chapters of Genesis. So um, it's going to take us a while. Um, but um, we love the idea of being able to walk all the way through the Bible. And then um, let's say you lead someone to the Lord at your workplace three years from now. You can say, hey, go to the podcast and start with story number one. <laughs> right? And they can actually have help walking all the way through the Bible, which I think is a pretty... That's awesome, right? Because it'll be archived forever. Um, and so it'll become a great tool that all of us can use if you'd like to. Um, I think there's a lot of people who would love to have help walking through the Bible, right? All the way through. So um, we are in Genesis 1. So we're not getting very far. We're in Genesis 1 today. Um, we talked um, a few weeks ago about Sabbath. How many of you are here for Sabbath? God made Sabbath for man. He taught us how to rest. He doesn't need to rest. He taught us how to rest, and if you remember the text, um, he made man, and he said, now here's the work you have to do, but before you do, there's a rest day. And so man didn't start to work until he had rested, right? So God was teaching us something that's very opposite to how we operate as a culture. He was saying you work from rest, not rest from work. You work from rest instead of resting for work. What we do in our culture is we work until we drop over. <laughs> we don't actually vacation, we recuperate until we come back to it. And so we don't have stillness in our lives. There's no stillness to actually think. There's no stillness to actually hear God speak. How many of you know he is speaking all the time? God is speaking all the time. We're just rarely still enough and listening to pick it up. How many of you, when you let yourself be still, you start asking God questions, you start getting answers? It's pretty amazing. He is speaking all the time. And so he taught us how to have moments of stillness. In Sabbath, they rested from everything. They didn't cook. Hallelujah, they didn't cook. They didn't do anything except be be with people they loved. They first worshiped God so they got their hearts right. And how many of you know you can love the people around you better when God has set your heart right? <laughs> you love better this way when you've loved better that way, right? So they would start with worship and then they would have time just to be with people. They had time to actually get bored, to sit and contemplate. Sabbath is incredibly important and it's something that for us to practice is countercultural, for us to actually Sabbath. Let me prove it to you. You're here on a Sunday morning, which means you have value for Sabbath. You're here worshiping, right? Um, but how many of us have a really long to-do list after we leave here? Oh, snap. Right? We have a hard time just saying, I will be still, and I will be present with people around me. It's difficult for us. But we're doing the opposite today. Now we're talking about work. So I want to make sure we got Sabbath in there. But now we talk about work. How many of you know God made man for work? It's not a result of the fall. We had jobs before the fall. We were made for work. We were made to produce things of value. And it's deep within us. And so you'll see there's times where people come into cycles where they're not able to produce and it's very depressing. How many of you have been there? You've been in a cycle where for some reasons you weren't able to produce things that you normally could produce and you really have to fight depression because we were made to produce. So Genesis 1, Genesis 1 verses 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
How many of you know if God gives you dominion over something, you automatically have work? Because ruling or having dominion isn't about getting to tell people what to do. Having dominion is about caring for the things you were given to steward. So already, we got, we got some work. If he's going to give you some authority, he's going to give you some responsibility. Right? Okay. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Our binary world was made by God. Nothing else is going to work. I'm going to leave that there because we're not dealing with that today, but it's in the creation. And every single time we try to walk away from created order, we will be kicking against the goads. It's not going to work. And it's going to create a lot of destruction. And we can already see some of that now. Um, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. What? Be fruitful, multiply. Increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. You don't have to subdue something that's already in order. Okay? I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for, the, for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food and it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning and this was the sixth day. Now if we look at chapter two, we know what the boundaries of the Garden of Eden were. So God planted the Garden of Eden. It was all good. He puts man and woman in the Garden of Eden. But we know the boundaries. We know on one side there was the um, Pishon River. The other side was the Gion River. The other side was the Tigris and the Euphrates. We're given the boundaries in chapter 2. The Garden of Eden wasn't over the whole world. It had boundaries. And at some point, once they'd gotten the trick of managing the animals and things they were given, what were they going to do? They were going to take the children at that time that they had had, right after they'd managed all this stuff, and they were going to go and subdue the rest of it. He made us for the work of bringing this world in order. Here's the problem. We decided at some point in the garden, before we had multiplied and filled the earth and subdued anything, we decided we don't need God. We'll be God. We'll decide what's right and wrong. And we broke relationship with God through sin, which also broke relationship with each other. The first thing they do after sin is begin to argue. And God tells them, listen, now the world's under a curse. You had dominion. You relinquished dominion, and now the world is under a curse. And in that curse, what happens? He says the woman's desire is going to be to rule over her husband. His desire is going to be to, come on, there's friction now where there had been unity. The earth is broken in the fall. Now sickness and death enter the world, according to Romans, right? That's the moment it happened. Sickness and death enter the world. And God also says the work's going to be hard now. Just bringing the earth, the ground into order is going to be hard. So why would they have to subdue the earth before the fall? Well, who else is there? Revelation 12, verses 7 through 12. Now keep in mind, Revelation, John is writing this from the Isle of Patmos. He's a prisoner, and he's a prisoner for preaching the gospel. So he's got to be kind of careful. He can't use a lot of words, right? Um, but in Revelation 12, you have a spiritual view of the birth of Christ and kind of, the, kind of this overreaching, redemptive plan of God in Revelation 12. It's really kind of cool because when we read about it, we read it from a human perspective, like in the Gospels. In Revelation 12, you get this heightened perspective. Here's what it says in Revelation 12, verse 7. A war broke out in heaven. Michael and, his angel, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, 
and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was place found for them in heaven any longer. So Satan and the angels that fought with him, now they get cast out of heaven. So the great dragon was cast out, That's that old serpent called the devil or Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, because Revelation's talking about the end. So this happened early on, right? And now it's saying, listen, now it's time for salvation to come through our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him, that's us, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth um, and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has short time. So the devil has a little time left. What happens the time he has left, he was cast down to earth. Right? Then God creates man and woman. And he says, hey, this garden is great. Everything's in order. But you're going to multiply, and you're going to go out from this garden. You're going to subdue the earth. So they were, they were going to spread the garden. But who else was there? Satan, right? And the demonic that he brought with him. Those who rebelled against God in heaven are also cast down to the earth. What would that have looked like if our job in partnering with God to subdue the earth we did it with eyes that could fully see the spiritual. Because now our eyes are darkened, right? Adam and Eve could walk and talk with God. They're spiritual, right? They weren't spiritually broken. I don't know. His original plan sounds kind of fun to me. This one seems a lot harder, um, but that's on us. And just in case you didn't know, um, the devil's angry. He has wrath. He knows his time is short. He's already tried to come against God. That's not going to work. So who is his wrath pointed toward? Yeah. So let me just say, um, we don't need Satan to sin. We can totally sin on our own. He's not around every rock and corner. There is a demonic behind every single thing. But there is demonic activity in the world. And there are plans that are counter to God's plans. And they manifest in all kinds of ways. And in all kinds of arenas. Through music, through politics, through all kinds of stuff. And let me just say, when it comes to any of those things, politics, social things, media, the only side you can be on is God's side. There is no, like, political party ordained by God. There are people who are willing to do his bidding. And sometimes those people aren't even good people. How many of that God can work through people that aren't awesome? <laughs> so what are you looking for as you're wise in this world? Well, you're saying, what are God's objectives? Who's carrying those things out? Because sometimes the people carrying them out aren't even awesome people but they're doing his will. And so you've got to be wise. We have been believing and talking about for years, like I believe we're due for another outpouring. We're, if you look at Great Awakenings in America, we're overdue, which means we're done with them and we're going this way or we're going to have another Great Awakening. And let me just tell you, I mean, how many of you in the news the past few weeks or months, you've been feeling like, I think maybe it's happening. Can you, you can hear the, the drops before the full rain comes? Jesus is king. Jesus is king! You never know who he's going to work through. You never know who he's going to save. The fact that you have one of the most famous musicians in the world <laughs> putting out an album called Jesus is King 
And just a few years ago, I think he was calling himself Jesus. <laughs> and putting out like semi-pornographic videos. <laughs> um, you never know. No one's too far gone. You never know who he's gonna work through. And as believers, when we see him put his hand on someone and somebody responds to him, our role is to pray like a house on fire. The more influence they have, I'm telling you, the more that hell is unleashed on them. Come on. And when people first get saved, they are not, come on, they're not perfect. You're still not perfect. I'm not perfect. Right. God's at work. But where he's at work, we need to be cheering on that work. I don't know. I saw a video last week, and there was like um, Kim Kardashian and Sia. You know, she's an amazing singer. Her voice is amazing. See, she wears the wig. That one. Sia, Kenny G. And there were like five or six other really famous people. And they are worshiping for, to a worship song about Jesus. I don't even know if they're all saved yet. But how many of you know you don't have to be saved when you feel the presence of God, you want to respond somehow. So I'm not going to sit and be like, is she a really a Christian? I don't, I don't care. She's responding to the presence of God, so I'm going to pray for her. I'm going to pray for what God's doing there. God moves through weird people sometimes. God takes the most unlikely sometimes and begins to reveal his glory. We want to get behind that. God has a plan for this earth, but there are other plans too. Now, listen, I think whenever you begin to really understand who you are in Christ, whether you're famous and have a lot of influence in the world or whether no one knows your name, Anytime you begin to step out and understand your authority in Christ and begin to believe that you are an image bearer of God and his image begins to show through you, um, you're going you're gonna to have opposition. That's just how it is. If you keep reading in, in um, Revelation 12, if you weren't sure the enemy hates you, he's called the accuser of the brethren for a reason. Um, verse 13, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. So you've got the woman could either be Mary or it could be Israel. But it's what Jesus comes from, right? So you have, um, I hope it's me. Um, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Remember the male child? Who is this? John's got to be careful because he's in prison. They're going to read this document. <laughs> he wants to get out. Who's the male child? Go back to Genesis 3. Remember the curse? We did together a few, a few uh, weeks ago. What did God say? He gives him hope in the garden. What does he say? He says to the woman, listen, the serpent, Satan, a child's going to come from you, right? One will come from you, and Satan will bruise his heel, but this child will crush his head. And of course, through Mary, right, Mary is the one who gives birth, through this lineage comes Jesus. And Satan tries to take him down on the cross, but he doesn't realize that death can't hold him. And when Jesus emerges victorious in the resurrection, now time shifts. Now dominion shifts, right? Because we had handed over dominion. What happens? Jesus takes the keys of death in the grave and says, all authority has now been given to me. Go and make disciples. Teach them everything I've commanded you, right? Dominion shifts at the resurrection. So when John says the child, who's he talking about? Genesis 3, the one who would come through Mary. Okay. Um, he persecuted the woman and gave, who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she's nourished for a time and times and time and, a, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. So what happens at Christ's birth? Herod, full of the devil, 
says, I know the Messiah has come. Kill all the male children. And so you have this flood of blood, right, that comes to consume all of the children of Israel, the male children of Israel. But what happens? She's caught away. Joseph is warned in a dream by an angel. You've got to get caught away to Egypt. He leaves with Jesus, and they're spared. That's how Jesus escapes that flood of death that comes. Satan is enraged <laughs> with a woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Who's that? You, me, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We're in a spiritual war. We have work to do. We have work to do. Now, our work often looks like regular work because we were called to have dominion over the earth. If you look at the curse from Genesis chapter 3, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you, this is after the fall. They've chosen to do this apart from God. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Bummer. So for a lot of people, that's what their work life feels like. <laughs> How many of you could agree that sometimes that's what your work life feels like? Toil and sweat, am I making any difference at all? I'm going to work, and then to dust, I'm going to return. For a lot of people, that's what work looks like. But how many of you know all your spheres of influence, your sphere of work, that God has work for you to do and bringing order to this world and work for you to do and bringing his kingdom to your sphere? Both things are happening through your work. So when we talk about, when we elevate work, we're not just elevating things that are clearly ministry. The work you do that actually brings order and keeps the monkeys from killing each other is vitally important. Do you know that plumbers have saved more lives in history than doctors? Theoretically speaking. Just the act of being able to take sewage away from us to somewhere where it's not polluting everything we touch saves lives. More than doctors. So if you're a plumber, you are doing God's good work. I'm serious. You're bringing order where there would be chaos. When Devin and Anna make sushi, <laughs> right? People are hungry. They need protein. More people have died of starvation and exposure than anything else in the world. People come in, they're hungry, they get some protein. We don't think much of it because you can get food a lot of places. That's because a lot of people are doing the good work of bringing order to chaos. There are many, many places in the world where people can't go and get any kind of sushi or any kind of protein. So the people who are part of that supply chain, the people who raise the cattle, the people who fish the fish, the, like these are all important things that help your neighbor. Bringing order to chaos is a powerful thing. And you are part of that. The work you do. Many of you in this room work for consumers or worked for consumers. Holla, right? You're done. You're, you're partying now. Um, that's important work. You may feel like, hey, I was just a cog in a wheel. That's a really important wheel. It's about to get very cold which would kill people and does kill people in other places. But because you do the work you do, because things blow up and you fix them, Leonard, right? Um, thank God, um, people are gonna have heat. I'm just a cog in a wheel. What do you think it's gonna take to bring order to chaos? It's gonna take like millions of cogs <laughs> doing big work. This work, we were always meant to come and subdue the earth. We were always meant to spread his good garden. And so don't, don't underestimate the value of the work you do that isn't overtly spiritual. It brings a benefit to everyone that you are near. 
And now invite God into that place so that both of your work can be accomplished. Bringing order to the physical world, bringing order to the spiritual world. Because there are people all around you who physically look fine, but their spiritual world is disordered and they're suffering. Many of them living apart from God's presence and they have no idea what they're so hungry for. And so they cast about from one thing to the next thing, hoping the next thing is it, and never satisfied because we were made for a relationship with him. And so out of your work and bringing order, subduing the earth, we also subdue the spiritual world because we go into our spheres of influence and we heal the sick and we raise the dead and we deliver the oppressed. We announce the year of God's favor. We show the glory of God because he's showing off in our lives. And we overcome the evil one by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. There are people who hear you speak of the goodness of God just because it's been revealed to you. You're, just ta you're not talking about, you're not taking them through systematic theology. You're just saying, here's what Jesus did for me. And that testimony is overcoming the evil one who's spewing outrage. Because nothing compares to the blood of Jesus. Nothing is stronger than that. Test me in this. Think of people in your life. Let's, let's think of Kanye West. Let's take Kanye. How many terrible, evil things were built up in his life? Over time, thousands, millions. Influence that would take him in the wrong direction. And all it takes is a moment, an encounter with God to break down all that stuff. Think if you're Satan. Think of how frustrating your job must be if you're him. Because he can spend, he can take an entire lifetime an entire lifetime of sending abuse to somebody, right? Of sending all kinds of torture to people, destroying stuff in their path, tempting them into destruction. And he can have thousands of wins in his column. And then one day, little Denise meets somebody who the devil has thousands of wins in his column, and she just happens to say, man, Jesus is good. This is what he did for me. And all of a sudden, all that wind column for all those little battles goes away because Jesus just won the war. <laughs> because they say, I don't know what you have, Denise, but whatever it is, I know I need it. Because every single thing the enemy is doing in that person's life is making them more hollow and more ready for an encounter with God because light shines brightly where there's darkness where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so we should feel encouraged. There are people all around us. It doesn't matter how many wins the enemy has in their column. One encounter with someone who's hosting the presence of God can undo a life of the enemy's work. Think of how powerful that is. We think sin is so powerful, and it can be when you're in the grip of it, but his blood is so much more powerful than sin. So much more powerful. If we'll throw ourselves in his mercy, right, we'll have the victory every time. One last thing on work before we, we take the things that God's stirring up and we take them to worship and take them to prayer. Part of the curse about work, because we're made for work, is work can really become corrupted for us. One, we can forget that our spheres of influence are really spiritual spheres of influence first. And so we can easily develop a work life and a spiritual life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When they should be one. Three of you are like, I get that. Come on. You can develop like the world, what the world sees <laughs> persona, and then my church persona. People do it all the time. When these things should be one. For a lot of people, work becomes their identity. That's corruption. You weren't made for work, right? You're overwork. Work can become a bore, right? 
most men live lives of quiet desperation, right? At some point, the idea of what am I doing? Am I just living to pay off a mortgage? I mean, this can become a crushing thought. Life can begin to seem meaningless if it's in the wrong order. Work can also corrupt us in other ways. It can corrupt our moral, our moral compass. We learn how to cut the corners. We learn how to step on people. I know what I'm talking about. Not you, but someone you've worked with. You've seen this happen, right? And then very easily, work can become our master instead of our servant. And in these ways, work gets corrupted so that work becomes an idol in our life, right? We don't see work through the prism of God's work in our life. Work begins to dominate our life in many ways and begins to twist things around. I want to encourage you today Grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. From the late, great Dallas Willard. It's my favorite quote. Grace is not opposed to effort, but grace is opposed to earning. You have to know who you are in Christ. Our efforts are important, but we're not earning who we are, and we're not earning security in this world by our efforts. That comes through identity. Your work is a resource. He is your source. And who we are is established in Him. And then our work flows out of that. And so if we can see work through the prism of Christ, faith gives us a new identity. Work does not become our identity. When we see our work through the prism of Christ, we see dignity in our work as we subdue the earth with him and bring order, right? So even if you could have thought of yourself as a cog in a wheel, you begin to realize this is part of his call to subdue the earth and you can see the dignity of the work that you do. If you can see your work through the prism of Christ, he will give you a moral compass and you will not be corrupted by your work. If you can see your work through the prism of Christ, he will give you a new worldview. And so work is always your servant and never your master. And you are free to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and know that all these things will be added to you. As you apply your effort to wherever he places you, you live in a confidence and a peace because he is your master. He is responsible as you partner with him. Would you stand? Prayer team, come on up. Worship team, come on up. I know um, this isn't like a hallelujah sermon <laughs> where you naturally flow into worship, but I do think work is such an integral part of our life, whether you're retired, whether you're stay at home, whether you're working a job where you get compensation, all of us have work to do. Amen? Whether you get compensated or not, all of us have work that we're called to do. And I want to really encourage you as we worship now, and as we have time to respond in prayer, I want to encourage you to put your work before the Lord and say, Father, speak to me. Give me a word about my work. Help me to see my work the way you see it. Show me if it's out of order. Show me if it's corrupted. Show me if it's become my master. Show me if I have fear connected to work. I have fear about security and peace connected to work. Let him show you what might be out of order and he can put that thing in place even in this time as we worship. There's people here you can pray with if God's stirring things up, you can pray with them. Maybe you're sick in body and need healing or you need prayer for something else. Feel free to come and receive prayer. But let's take some time to worship him and respond to his word, amen?
worship and the person who was singing just started feeling like a spontaneous what was on their heart for God and I immediately felt it was for our church and I was like uh, God you can uh, make that real clear because I'm not taking the, the mic and just as we worshiped like it just became so strong to me and even the songs that we were singing that what she said specifically was that there is no there's no equal in love versus hate hate and love are not polar opposites in fact love is completely triumphs all things and so there is no rival and as we we're singing you have no rival you have no equal it just really really impressed with me that god's love is the thing that transforms us it isn't us trying it isn't us seeing certain people and thinking well they're really good at this or they're really good at that but it's actually a complete absorption and that's what even the words that she was saying that being absorbed in his love it isn't what transforms us is not even a hate of our former selves and how despicable we were but it is literally becoming so thoroughly convinced of the love of our Father and so thoroughly realizing who we are in Him and that we are, that He's our identity. It isn't the things that we do, it isn't um, how we perform, but it is truly a love for Him. And I just, I felt that so strongly that we all, every single person, no matter what you know about yourself, because you know the things, the yucky of you, is that God absolutely just through and through He loves you. And it's His love in you, and it's, it's that total absorption in
so much of our time and thoroughly sanctify it and fill it with your presence, Lord. Help us to know who we are in you, Lord. And help us to remember this week that your goodness and your mercy are stalking us. <laughs> your goodness and your mercy are pursuing us all the days of our lives. We don't have to beg. We're children. We're your dearly loved children. Your goodness and mercy are coming after us. <laughs> your love is so good. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Encourage somebody before you go. Hug somebody before you go. God bless you. Love you.